I said 184 is not enough. 184 <laughs> is not enough. It's that's so MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, she has done it. She did it at last. Not Christine that we had any doubt. Sinclair. The greatest international goal scorer this sport has ever seen. She's broken the record. I mean, by now, lots of people know, but I'm no less excited, even though it happened a little bit ago now. Well, I mean, like, the the thing is, breaking that record and scoring 185 international goals, it is legitimately Canada's greatest soccer achievement. I don't think there's anything, I I don't think there's anything else. Internationally, I'd say that this is Canada's greatest sporting achievement, no? I mean, that's an interesting... That I I think that's an interesting Do question. You're like, oh, I don't want to make those kinds of statements. Well, <laughs> I mean, like the thing is, you then get into to a discussion about hockey, and like it's it is yeah yeah and yeah. it's and it's There's international. There's not enough grass in that sport, and it's international reach, right? You could you could make that argument, um, based on the fact that soccer has a wider international reach, and like like that is turning heads in terms of. A global sporting mm-hmm. achievement for Canada by a single athlete. I mean, short of the career of Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> like, I don't know. doesn't matter. For me, I'm going to say it. It is my personal <laughs> top, number one Canadian sporting achievement. Christine Sinclair is the best ever. Fight me. It's a world record. <laughs> it's a, what it is to, to me is... You have world records in sports that see those records fall all the time. Um, this is a sport that sees that record fall very rarely. Yeah. Um, not to not to say no, I, that maybe came off as disparaging world records. I say it's a uh, a, a it's not career achievement, <laughs> a career achievement that's not yeah. easy to do. Um, if you look at who is there, I don't know who is next. I don't know if the player. Oh, I'm back. Well, no, no, I mean, like, like I don't know who the next player is that's oh. going to break the record. And I don't know if we've it's seen... Jordan Heidemann. <laughs> <laughs> I have the answers to all of these questions. Well, what am I saying? What am I saying? <laughs> yes, of I know course. what you're saying. I know what you're saying. We don't know. We don't know that it will happen, happen again in our lifetime. Um, and if it does, we don't know who it's going to be. Yes. Probably Jordan Heidemann. So that was uh that all came out of the the Concacaf Olympic tournament and and I think the interesting thing for the longest time is that we have been going into tournament after tournament thinking like oh well maybe she can break the record at the Algarve Cup or maybe she can rec- break the record at last year's Women's World Cup um yeah. and because of a number of reasons including the the her changing role on the team and how she wants to be provider um, and I think Canada's sort of issues around goal scoring in general, especially in the last um, in last year's tournament, um, mm-hmm. made that um, less of uh, it, it. Sort of it sort of like like extended the runway. Where I remember a post from a couple of years ago that's like she may not she may not do it at all from somebody that was incredibly sympathetic because like with the idea thinking. Um, this is the, this is Ben Massey. I remember had a post on Maple Leaf forever, uh, a long time ago. It said that. Mm. Um, and the idea had been that this was the, the career, like the, the runway that she had picked for herself may not, you know, with that unselfish mindset may mean that she never gets to it. But I think that 
Um, despite the fact that there are, uh, obviously if you look at the goals per game compared to Abby Wambach, it's, um, it's a lower number, but I think that shows, um, the determined nature of Sinclair, uh, to, to really continue and, and play in a way that really was not, um, selfish in any way, mm-hmm. uh, in, in order to get there. And it was this tournament, it was, uh, a, I, I caught some, I was able to catch, uh, a fair bit of the match against St. Kitts and Nevis, which was 11 nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that one of the things, especially if you were looking at last year compared to this, is that it really was a, a these first uh, two or three games in the tournament were very much like guns blazing tournaments in the way that they hadn't really played in the year previous, with the mm-hmm. with the uh, the the Saint Kevin Nevis, Nevis game. Uh, Sinclair, I think, scores the second goal on a penalty and then just has the third one. Um, uh, from the cross into the middle. Um, and like, you don't, who is it that scored the, uh, who scored the hat trick? Somebody scored a hat trick in that game. And it's just something that we, we, we stopped talking about. Was it, uh, was it Heidema or was it, um, Becky? Oh, For some reason, I think it was. Let me just um, let me double check that that fact. But um, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of goals. We we cannot be blamed for <laughs> losing track on that. Right. One. Well, I think that it was a um, those those first three games were an interesting sort of change in 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 form and in everybody you know contributing, um, getting lots of goals. I think it, you're you're right to say I think that it was Heidema because that would be when she that would be what got the. Um, you know, it was uh, it was Adriana Leon scored four. Oh, I'm sorry, Adriana. We suck. and then we should and then Heidema scored five in the game against Jamaica. Right. Okay. So that was the yeah. that was the zero nine game, and that's what what um what really pushed her all the way to the the golden boot for the tournament, which is an amazing achievement. That like you know, there's, there's so much happened in this tournament. Despite it being sometimes not always the number one event on the calendar because of the the competitive balance issues in CONCACAF, um, mm-hmm. a lot happened here for Canada. Uh, Heidema uh, eighteen won the 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 golden boot for the tournament, and and that came out of the um, the Jamaica game. Uh, but other teams played. You know the uh, the states had a, a, a similarly weighted bracket. Um, so I think it is a, a an achievement that matches up to the other people that are in the 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 group, even if there was even if it became in a in a lopsided result. Um, the thing that was a little, I think, frustrating for longtime watchers, or, or frustrating for people who who had that last year in mind, um, is that then as the results got more competitive. You began to see Canada close off a little more, and look a yeah. little bit more like they did last year with the two nothing in Mexico, uh, the Costa Rica one nothing that very well could have been disastrous if it wasn't for Heidema scoring in the seventy second. 
Um, and, and I think that that resembles the kind of game that people were talking about last year where it's like, I really thought that Canada would have a little more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the U.S. game, which um, is always a very interesting so- showpiece in this tournament because it is a competitive game, but it is essentially a exhibition match um, mm-hmm. because every year uh, since they started doing the, the two teams qualifying, uh, it's hits the two teams have already qualified by the time they make the final. So it's really a, a final for the sake of a final. Um, in Canada has, uh, it's been many years since Canada beat the, the, the United States and this was not the year. Yeah, it really wasn't. I mean, or this I mean, is not, this is not the two, tournament. So, yes. Two sort of later goals. Um, so I think you could argue Canada kind of held their own, but, it does. It still feels a little bit like a tale of two Canadas. You see them playing uh, certain opponents with a, just an awful lot of swagger to them, and then they kind of reach those top three, four teams, and just as you said, like to kind of lose momentum and lose a bit of their identity as well in terms of like just making things easier for themselves. Yeah. Um, and just get kind of disorganized. And when you play against a team like the United States and you see how they play and how organized they are, you know, you're, you're just always really going to struggle. That's why we struggled against Germany. It's why we struggle against England. It's why we struggle against France. Like even when we can beat some of those teams, um, we, we sort of seem to do it by like hook or by crook, but not necessarily with like a, a full complete 90 minute performance the way that you see us dispatch other opponents. Yeah. I, I, and it speaks to the growth of the sport, obviously, but um, that for me is still the, the big piece that's missing is just like, what's the underlying system behind uh, a Canadian team that's going to play the same way with the same principles against Jamaica as we are the United States. I think that the interesting part for me, and you made the, the point of identity and, and making things hard for yourselves is that, that it is that, to a certain extent, I feel, and obviously the U.S. is a different talent level. It is yeah. true that the world is catching up, but I feel like the performances against Mexico and Costa Rica just could have been, like, I I think that those are two good teams that pushed Canada. But I also feel mm-hmm. that Canada got in its own way a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think maybe that's the point here, is that we all feel like... Uh, Canada at times does not play to its levels. It's not like, oh, this is as good as they can get. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, just like where where did the performances go? Where did the, the team dynamics go? And it's not that it's completely absent. It's just it's not there for a complete game. And they they just seem to get a little bit frazzled or lose focus. And that's just not something that you can really afford to do a lot in a tournament. No. And I know that this might sound, um, this, I know that when, as we came in so uh, excited about Christine Sinclair, that this might sound down, but I feel, <laughs> but like I'm re- I'm legitimately really, really excited for the Olympics. I, I knew that, uh, I know that sort of last year's tournament was uh, a rough time for the Canadian women's team. And so that's kind of where we're trying to talk and have that, element of like like what is what are the areas to improve on but i'm i think that that is going to be one of my sporting events this summer i think that um canada has always had um canada is is in the last two tournaments 
really pushed to put a stamp on it. Um, and I can't wait to see what, uh, what is in store this year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. And I just as well, Christine Sinclair is just like such a phenomenal person and a phenomenal athlete. And I think that there are so many people that are Canadians that are women's soccer fans, um, that are, uh, in, in around the world that are just like, so excited for this person to have made that accomplishment because, um, it's just the, the work ethic, the amount of the, the, the journey, the journey and the longevity to get to this point. I just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, when when you when you see her reaction to it, when you see the fact that she tried to um, like tried her best not to make a, a deal of it in the moment, like she reacted, and then we're like, we're done, we're done here. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, somebody said, "Are you were you thinking of going to get the? Um, were you thinking of going? I think it was. Did she say it was Janine Becky's job to get the ball out of the net? <laughs> yeah. She was like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm like, that is so the person that's, that's so who this is. And it's just like, you know, um, even when they are, uh, achieving one of the great sports milestones, um, just won't, just won't, uh, still doesn't want to make themselves a story. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we've certainly disparaged uh, Ali, Abby Wambach at times. And just in terms of, you know, we're Canadians and we have it's to. It's a fun rivalry but thing. It's a fun rivalry to have. But her comments after Sinclair broke her record, I think, speak to, you know, the admiration that everybody has for her. That, um, y- you know, even the people that are her most stalwart opponents or have been in the past really do celebrate this and see it as a major milestone and everybody is quite happy to sort of capitulate and be like, yeah, she's the best. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's just so interesting to hear such glowing praise from, from Abby, uh, to her and, and to see that collegiality, um, extended in a way that you don't often see in sports. Well, at the time it was a big competition because, you know, Abby was always, you know, those, um, I, I think that while they were playing, if I recall, they were always those sort of like 30 or 50 goals apart, um, in the yeah. race to overtake the scoring record that had been set by Mia Hamm, um, who yeah. is, of course, somebody that Abby really looked up to. And like, like, I'm sure that that was the, the competition in the fight to reach that mark, um, in the moment must have been so uh must have been so heavy but she got to make that achievement and now the person that was her um her colleague in trying to 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 push for that has also got there too it's like the best of both worlds you can be happy for your fl- your friend slash rival and you also mm-hmm. got and you also did it <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly exactly you know it's like whatever uh, you know still second best <laughs> They're, they, they, all three of them, of course, stand 
at the at the top of the mountain in terms of being like the best players in the sport Oops. of women's soccer. Like I got so excited and knocked my headphones off. So that owned that was good. I definitely bought uh, a one soccer subscription for that, and then had the uh, the it absolutely just cratered and crashed and burned during the Costa Rica game. Which was like the one, which is the game. That's the one that matters in terms of getting into the Olympics. And it was a very tight, concerning game. So they, the stream did not work through the first half. And they had to do like, like it had died. They had a pre-show and then for some reason it died. Um, And then they tried to put it on Periscope for like a minute and then they stopped it. And then they, for the second half, they streamed it for free on YouTube. If this, if any part of this is what I experienced, if any part of this was, you know, if there's a correction to be made, um, I'm happy to, to hear it. But they started it for free on YouTube. And then the YouTube stream, stream stopped, which I hear is when the One Soccer stream came back. But the people who were refreshing the YouTube stream who just thought it didn't work, a.k.a. me, missed the goal. Mm. <laughs> because they stopped the YouTube stream uh, and just didn't tell well, anyone. They tried four different methods to get the game going. Like... <laughs> now, the, uh, the, it's just... The final yeah, word's great, but that was the so... one. Yeah, and I mean, and that's like that's going to be continue to be a thing that holds the sport back. If they can't figure out reliable feeds and reliable ways for people to watch soccer, it's just, it's so subpar, it's really laughable at this point. Like, that, you know, in a major tournament, when there's things on the line, um, to, to not, like, test things and, and have things ready to go is just so, I don't know. Maybe it's because more people were watching than they thought would watch, and they, the, the, they didn't have the bandwidth for it. I don't know. The issue for me, I think that the the what they offer in terms of the promise is great. And I mean, like, we just don't talk about the fact that they've got the Mexican League games. Like, it's just mm-hmm. it. Like, like that's such a a, a major selling point. Um, because it's something that is, you know, has often been neglected for sports racing Canada, um, that it doesn't come up that the, I think that the, the pre and post shows are pretty good. I think that they, they do their best to, to create a compelling studio product and a compelling on-field product in the idea of being the home for Canadian soccer, both in the league and the national teams is, I think a sound one. And I, no, there's the trade-off of not having it on TV, but mm. I think that I don't necessarily think that trying to promote that streaming service is a bad idea. It's the delivery. No, the delivery yeah, exactly. is what it's got to work. Is is, is what it's, is tough for me. It has to work. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy what you can find on, like, even a, a cursory search for a. Um, underground stream shall we say for something and it will come up crystal clear and you're like well why would anybody ever pay for this (laughs) but on the flip side then you do pay for it and that that was my experience with tsn last year it's like i it would be or sportsnet or whatever it calls itself is that 
it was like, well, now that I'm paying for I paid for it because I wanted something reliable. And I ended up just streaming things because that was more reliable than the stream I was paying for. You're in, 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 like, not to try and... I will pay for the thing, but I'm paying for it to be consistent so I can just turn it on and watch the game. If I can't do that, then you, that's literally the only reason to pay for the product. Not to, not to try, I'm tr- I don't want to blow up anyone's spot, of course, but it's like, you're in the YouTube, I was in the U- the YouTube comments of a free stream a free apology stream that was offered by the streaming service <laughs> and people are sharing the Twitch streams where you can yeah. go in the, in the, not of a random YouTube in the streaming services comments is, be, are, is where people are telling you where you can act, find a stream that actually yeah. works. Um, and, and even then they're probably like, yeah, you should probably trust Gary on this one. The apology tweet, the one soccer tweet, this, 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 uh, this I lost it at this one. That it was just like we are very sorry about what happened, and we promise we're gonna try and make it right for the final. And then the video is just the goal. Well, you know what? A, what a give what the a, people what the people want. What a succinct what a succinct explanation of what happened. Like, <laughs> yeah. just oh dear. So, uh, uh, so that was, and that was for me, that tournament was good in heading a little bit more into MLS. It got me, you know, it got me limber again. You know, I know we're, I know we're getting back into the season pretty quick, but you I got your like, preseason. That was, that was your beep test. That was my beep test. I think. Yes. I was, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, it got me back on the track of, 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 you know, wrangling streaming services and. Trying in you know uh, tracking the team through a tournament and um, watching games at Dignity Dignity Health Sports Park. <laughs> um, so I, I I now feel uh, I now feel ready to go and uh, and quite a lot has happened. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of I'm, admittedly I think it's just you know, as preseason approaches and there's just so much talk and there's trades and there's news and all of that, I do inevitably get a little bit excited, but man, I just like, I just miss soccer. And especially after all the nonsense that went on last year, uh, across the league, but especially for (laughs) our club, I, I'm just like, I just want to enjoy soccer again. And I, and that's the hope that a new season brings. It's like, can we just Start again and try again, because damn it, I just want to watch some soccer and enjoy it and watch the people kick the thing. I and I agree. This tournament was a nice kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, like soccer can be like good and have good storylines and be enjoyable. It's such a, a a comment on MLS that you can just sort of um, wave uh, wave your hand and say the nonsense and have it be like generally correct. <laughs> right like everybody knows what i'm talking about now um like yeah the the, the 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 here's and here's allow me to respond to that like this i think that we we open the season um with a uh a new collective bargaining agreement that has been reached between mls and its players union um that i think is gonna make that league a better place for humans to be in and play soccer. And I think that that is a great way, um, you know, if 
especially because of the nonsense that can happen. Um, some of the things that have been passed here, I think, are going to make it, like, are, uh, you know, the word creature comforts make it seem um, un... Uh, make it seem sort of like, you know, a luxury. But um, I know that one of the big things that we talked last year is teams being delayed or having 15-hour flights or whatever else because of the long-time policy of um, of having teams fly uh, commercial. That, or you actually have to ship the team via U.S. Post, which is <laughs> One of the big things in the league, and I mean, this is, obviously this is not the only thing that matters, but it's like, like I think that this is, you know, uh, this is what, you know, was the the headline for um, the Vancouver province, the J.J. Adams piece about it that I thought was really great. Um, and I think matters a lot to players is the fact that you are now previously teams were only allowed. They were limited to four legs of travel. So that's home and away um, counts as yeah. two legs. They were limited to four charter flights and not every team was using them. Um, yeah. Teams are now required to fly um, eight times on charter. Uh, and they, uh, that, uh, that number is apparently going to raise to 16 by 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, which I think is great. And also they are requiring charter flights for, um, playoffs and CONCACAF. Yes. Or playoffs and champions. League. Which people like, you know, they're just under the, are they going to fly people down to the Caribbean? Yes! Please! <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean this one. This one is a long time coming. A long time coming. Um, and I'm, I'm not too surprised because obviously the way that the attention that MLS has gotten in the last couple of years since the last collective bargaining agreement, you're like the players' union was always in the bargaining position here because the league with new teams coming in and with all the attention really can't afford to not start on time. So yes, you kind of got the sense that like this agreement was coming regardless of what MLS wanted. And really MLS sort of painted it as like, yeah, we sat down and we had good conversations. It was very constructive, but I feel like it was basically the players union being like, here's the list boys. (laughs) And MLS being like, well, okay, let's take it away and talk about it. They did it end up extending their deadline for an extra day or two, I think to push the final details across the line. But my overwhelming sense of things was MLS was just kind of like, okay, we're going to give you everything you asked for. And also, here's some new rules about charter flights. Because that, I mean, I'm going purely by Twitter reactions here, but I feel like that one kind of came as a surprise to players that they got so much. I mean, it's not all happening at once, but um, it's a pretty significant shift for them. The big thing that stood out to me about this uh, agreement is that we are going to see the elimination of our favorite space money, um, progressive elimination of TAM, whereas uh, GAM is going to be the rule of the land again, and TAM is going to be slowly phased out. It's interesting. Um, Now, are they getting rid of it, or are they just sort of compromising it to a minimal... Are they compromising it to a permanent end? Or are they going to just sort of like, like just squeeze it to a, a, a lower number? 
I think essentially what happens is that the money that was allotted for Tam will become GAM. So it'll ju- all just be eventually general allocation money. Yes. And then the cap will be raised and the amount of general allocation money will also be raised. So there's more flexibility of what you can do with GAM. And so it's like some of Tam rules, some of Tam's rules are coming into GAM and the money that was allotted for Tam is also getting rolled into GAM and it's happening. I don't remember the numbers, but that's also something that I think takes place over uh, three or four years. uh, That's interesting. I think that um, the... Um, the in the last couple of or like basically last year but also the year before it mm. Tam had essentially like replaced player trades in a way like like, like yeah. people were doing trades but essentially um, in I'm going to try and, and pop quiz myself here the difference between the two of them is that um General allocation money is just something that you can use on any player to try and uh, make your your salary cap occasion work. Whereas TAM specifically is about um, buying down players that you were going to make DPs or players that were already DPs. Yeah, something like that. I think. I have no idea, to be honest. I've never really understood it. But my the sense of things that I get is that it's, what they're trying to do is make it so that teams have more flexibility with the money that and where they and where and how they spend it while still keeping things relatively equitable across teams. Right. But there's been lots of uh, grumblings from fans and and obviously from ownership as well. That's like, well, if you want us to bring in marquee players, then help us do that. Um, but we can't do that if we have, if our hands are tied by all these various rules. And then they're also dropping the, um, uh, some of the rules surrounding, if you want to sign a player, I believe 22 or 23 and under, um, there's fewer restrictions that are going to apply there in terms of salary, Mm -hmm. which also really helps teams bring in and get rewarded for developing younger talent. And so I think that that's another really great move. That's just, it's again. It's it doesn't quite mean that uh, automatically teams can do much better trades and and get better players, but it means with more flexibility, it it means that it really is up to the scouting departments to identify those good young players, um, and it's encouraging that kind of signing behavior as opposed to the go out and sign the megastar who's going to come in and blow everybody off the pitch because they just are that much better than every player in MLS. Well, also still allowing that to happen. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting to look at that. And it's like, I feel like it's already taking effect because teams are making signings now. Um, and, and one of them is, I think that there are um, some under 23 players that aren't DPs there's, I think, some easier, some cheaper ways to sign them to the senior budget now. Um, but also the, the under under 23 DP rule is now affecting the way people, like, like is already in, basically in effect because you have teams that have brought people in that are on that third DP, you know, level and are like, oh no, how do we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, overall, it seems like... You know, the players are happy. The players' union is happy. MLS is happy because they get to have kickoff in 17 days. 
Um, and I, I may be surprised that it moved along so quickly and, and well, but again, um, the union felt like they were in the be- the better position going into this one. That's the power in a union. Um, the, you make a great point that I never thought of with the timing. MLS really put themselves in a tough position with this schedule, didn't they? They sure did. I don't know if old, <laughs> old Donny boy thought that one through, but I was like, well, I mean, what's, what is their bargaining chip if they're like, no, we refuse to budge on this. Like, I feel like the players and the union were pretty prepared to be like, all right, well, enjoy the start of your season that needed to start earlier than usual. MLS MLS is was always in these negotiations in a tough position mm-hmm. where they need to be arguing to their television partners and to sponsors that this is a growing young league that has potential and is worth being a part of on the financial side. Um, and they're constantly just raking in more and more money in expansion. And that, that number only gets larger and larger um, every time they award a new team. Um, so they need to be simultaneously promoting things on a rosy scale. And then they there was some small effort to say, oh, every MLS team is losing money or is close to losing money or something like that. They tried, they tried briefly to push that angle, but you can't – it's really hard to make that push on the side of the advertisers and then come to the – negotiating table and say none of us have any money (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so and i mean and also because the league is going to continue to grow and and quite exponentially i think over the next five or ten years in terms of revenue it behooves mls to lock some of these agreements down now and state like phase in some of these changes um because again the bargaining power is just going to become greater and greater for the players union um, and and that's where it also behooves them to ask for what they need at this point because um, they they really can't afford to to sit back and just kind of get accept being nickeled and dimed over things when there is so much at stake. MLS is just such a different landscape than it was even five years ago, but certainly ten years ago. That you know the when you look at how much the starting domestic salary has changed. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's come a long way in the last five or six years. The senior, the budget floor for a senior player is now 104000 Yeah. There are people on the reserve squad that are making less than that, like that are, that, that are closer to the number I'm about to say, but I remember when that was less, wasn't it 40000 in think, in 2011 think, or 2012? Like, I think when Tybert was playing for the team, I think at one point he was making like... 30-something. And he was starting to clock, like, pretty full-time minutes as well. Yeah, and I mean, like, that. that's one of the things, if you look at things like, you know, players that came out of the draft, like Tim Parker, mm-hmm. that made their draft money forever, and that's another... The other big thing is the, the free agency, yeah. where um, it's now, I think, 24, with five years of service. Um, so you now have, so, uh, as a, as opposed to having to have your club affiliation, um, in the waiver, put in the waiver draft, if you leave your team, um, 
you now are allowed to just leave the you leave and, and make your own deal within MLS. Um, I think that like 24 is a great number for people that are going to be um, still leaving in their primes. And like, you know, if you're a 19 year old, if you're a 19 year old that, that started with a team as soon as you were drafted or as soon as you came out of the Academy um, and you've got that five years, I think that even more liberal uh, free agency measures should be great. But yeah. this really opens it up to a wider, a wider variety of players um, than sort of the, the long-time service veterans that the previous rule um, mm-hmm. was open to. Yeah. So, like, th- that is legitimately, I think, something to be um, optimistic about because sometimes it's easy to... Um, there are a lot of other situations where you feel that there there are frustrating things happening, and this is a legitimate non-frustrating thing. Yeah, I mean, and it is like a, it may not be to the average soccer fan, like the greatest, uh, the most important thing to be happening. But I think it does start the season off on the right foot with players in the union feeling optimistic about the way things are going. Ownership probably feeling uh, a little bit under pressure now (laughs) to pay for more charter flights. But also like just the league having what it needs in place so that they can focus on the next few years and growing the league. Like it just feels like everybody kind of has what they need in order to move forward because it's going to be a big and like also important next few years for MLS. Like this is all still an experiment um, and experiments can still fail. I think especially this sort of like MLS 3.0 era, like you you almost get past the sort of the the Beckham era of like, you know, now some of the teams that have uh, skyrocketed to new heights like DC because of a of a designated player have to find that era of maturity where it's not even about just one DP anymore. It's like what um, what's happening and what's next? Like mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, you look at um, the, you look at Seattle who won the title and just, Signed a, a 28-year-old uh, Brazilian designated player named Jao Paulo who had never played outside of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, like, and they're the champions, and they're they're constantly thinking of how to improve their game and how to sustain things beyond a certain um, beyond a certain sort of spike. And I think that that is interesting to see, and it's it's interesting to see some of the little moves that are happening. Um, the, uh, the big thing for Canada right now is, of course, the tale of two Piatis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. uh, Toronto FC signing Pablo Piatti, uh, from Espanol. He had been a, a, a mainstay in La Liga for a long time. Um, and I think he had started to, um, decline a little bit or like you know, just sort of fade into the background a little bit at Espanol. And it is an interesting time to see him integrating to a new team. Now, this is exactly what I was just talking about, about the young DP rule, is that now TSC has to find, TSC can't use him in that third DP spot. Because <laughs> he's not an under, because he's not an under 23 player. Oh, right. Or, or I think that it's like there's a limited, so the, the, the under 23 DP rule is, that in the third spot, if the player is not 23, 
there's only so much, so high above the salary cap you can go, which is right. usually a designated player is unlimited. It's an unlimited amount. Mm-hmm. But this is, and I don't know that it's a million. I don't think you can get to a million in the third DP spot anymore if uh, if it's not a designated oh. player. But I could be wrong. So, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like MLS creates. You know, it's MLS because they create these wonderful. They they create these wonderful new things that could legitimately see a positive impact. But hey, it also Don, Don, I need a flowchart. It means it means more space math. Um, Gotta love it. And at the same time, you know, you joke, oh, there's going to be two Piatis. No, there is going to be one Piatti because we learned that the Montreal Impact have granted Ignacio Piatti his release. He is going to go back to San Lorenzo, or he's going to go to uh, Argentina to play for San Lorenzo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because, I mean, he definitely, you know, he, he deserves to be able to go home. Uh, he has nothing left to, to prove to MLS, and, and he's done his service. Um, but it's just, it's such a huge loss for Montreal heading into the season. I think they do have a really good foundation, but I, I mean, quite appropriately, people have just been like, but this is not the same as other teams losing like a, a high profile players. Piatti was definitely one of the best DPs in MLS history. Um, and mm-hmm. certainly in terms of that impact. <laughs> Like, for this team, Piatti is the Montreal Impact. I mean, he's carried this team on his shoulders for yeah. the years that he's been in MLS. And it's really hard to imagine how they go forward without that, that finishing brilliance, that um, that leadership on and off the pitch, and just the creativity. Even when he was not at full health, I mean, you just... The slumps that Piatti had were always short. <laughs> And he just brought so, so much to the team. I, I feel good for him because, you know, he, he's had a, a good career and, he, you know, he's going back home to be with his family. I know he's got a young kid. Like, you don't want to be away from your family for that amount of time. And yet it's such a major loss for the Montreal Impact. It's such a major loss for MLS. See, I was going to come at this from a more... Not optimistic, but 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 I was resolved until I heard that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, now I'm sad. It's, it's now good I'm that sad. we've reestablished our dynamic of you being like, oh, I'm for sports, and Nick's be like, I don't know, man. This is it. It's over. Hey, the season hasn't even started, and look at that. We've fallen right back into our dynamic. See, here's the thing. That, <laughs> um, I had originally thought that um, the in uh, last season, especially the is Piatti going to leave in the next transfer window mm. discussion had become all encompassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it had it had cropped up so many times, and I think obviously it was there was many more other weird unstable things happening at the impact with the constant <laughs> coaching change. What? But um, like, is it that wasn't the only reason for anything, of course, but I really thought that it was a detriment to oh, everything yeah. that was happening. Yes, that's a, um, a very true statement. Yes. And and so there was a part of me that thought that they already, between some of the injuries and some of that, 
that the impact had already sort of learned. I, I wonder whether or not they have learned to live without him already um, to a certain degree. However, you make a great point about sort of the historical to the team impact impact that he had, as you said, um, the, uh, that he had with the, the team and just like, I kind of wish that there was more of a goodbye. I feel like he deserved more of a goodbye. I, I'm, I'm okay with him going in sort of like in the sense of, I think that they've got, they've got, um, great staff on the field there. He had been approaching a point. Of course, he could have still been used. They could have still used him if he wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, 100%. The, but he had been getting to a point where the vocal, the focus had been other people. And mm-hmm. Balu Tabla is coming back from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's MLS, so I don't know if, you know, I could say Maxi Rudy and, and, and Safir Tider and then have somebody tell me, oh, one of them just signed for Houston. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but, uh, but, uh, uh, like, like those, those players did great last year and I think that they are ready to shoulder the burden, but yeah. this era, it is an, it, like, like it is an era and in some ways it is the club's only era of note in MLS, mm-hmm. um, really deserve something to go out on. It was more than whatever last year was yeah. for Piatti. And, and I wonder if, uh, I don't know if that organization has, you know, number of retirements or testimonial games or a ring of honor or whatever, but I hope they do something really nice for him this year. Cause I think yeah, I agree. It. I mean, and I mean, you've seen the, I'm sure the support that's coming from impact players past and present. Um, Didier Drogba had quite lengthy, little thank you to him um and apparently mm-hmm. those two were quite close um mm-hmm. and yeah I, I mean it's nice to see that support from from fans and players but i i agree like i mean can you emblazon his face on the center circle or something like the piatti stand like what what do we need to enshrine he's just he is like i said there's just you cannot overstate his importance for that club um and depending I, I on what it's kind of too bad that it's it's ending this way. Depending on what uh, pet metro station you walk to Stan Saputo from, like 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 how you get there if you park if you, but the, the the train station I always take, you have to walk up the hill kind of okay. like it's from from Olympic Stadium. There's a big hill I guess that slopes up and Stan Saputo is on the top. They should just sort of lawn mow his face into it. Yeah, Piatti way. Make a big, Come on, yes, yeah. easy. Just make a big grasp. Yeah, the they they. There's a lot. There's a. I'm just saying. There's a lot of real estate between the, the uh, between the area where you turn the corner, and you start to see the stadium, where there could be a lot of great. Uh, just saying, a lot of space. great temporary things. <laughs> yes. Make it a make it a. I'm 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 uh now. Landscape. I'm doing the landscape design for the impact now. <laughs> Great. Free of charge. Who knows? By this um, time next year, they could be hiring for that position. In some of the some of the players, uh, and, and I had said, you know, um, we we're going to get into. We there have been a lot of DP signings, and we're not <laughs> yeah. going to get into all of this week. We're going to yeah. try and talk about each team situation a little bit more next week. 
Um, but you know, there are a lot of different signings, but some of these players, some of the players, did we talk about Will Trap last time? I think we did. Yeah. Did that happen? Will so. Trap going to, uh, Nashville. Well, Walker Zimmerman is going to Nashville now as well. Yeah. It's just, or been... no, Trap is in Miami and now Zimmerman's in Nashville. Right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and, t- and talking about like big interleague moves, um, the, my runner-up line for opening the show is going to have something to do with this just like insane amount of money where LAFC was like, we're not interested in selling Walker Zimmerman, thank you very much. And Nashville was like, what if we give you a million dollars plus incentives? And they're like, oh, oh, well, in that case, here you go. Here's Walker Zimmerman. <laughs> A million dollars. Um, and it, it was interesting reading um, John Thorington's comments about it. Where he's, he he's kept saying, like, something like various fa- variables and factors came into play. But really, and it, <laughs> even then basically just says, it was the money. Like, the variables were the million dollars of money that the team was prepared to plus an international roster spot just drop on their laps where LAFC was like, well, um, okay. But this is a huge, huge signing for Nashville. And I mean, yeah, we'll get to, to each team, but they're not a team we've talked a lot about. And they've certainly built a team with a good baseline of MLS experience, but has overall felt like kind of an unambitious roster of like a, a bit of a who's who from MLS past and a little bit present. But this signing for me is like a really shrewd piece of business to pick up a, you know, one of the best center backs in the league who's just entering his prime, um, probably is still gonna has like a good sell on value if they decide to move him on in a few years. And, and also like signals, the intent of the club um, to, to spend big money on a defender is something that we've seen lots of expansion clubs and lots of established clubs make big mistakes on. And so this for me was a very smart move from Nashville, despite the enormous price tag of it. I think it's a great investment. We, I guess we now know why it had seemed a little muted in any, you're right that this move becomes very interesting for that idea of the value of a defender. Because we have seen some big issues in the league, and LAFC um, is definitely front and center of the conversation in terms of, you know, teams not putting the money behind defense, mm-hmm. um, trying just trying to make do with it. And I think that honestly, as good as LAFC was last year, part of the reason is because they got serious about defense. Yeah. Now I'm not. So I came I came into this a little bit more critical of their decision to let him go, but it's very interesting to me that a team decided to roll up and be like, "We're gonna keep it. We're gonna. Uh, everyone's got a price." <laughs> yeah, like like that's a very interesting maneuver, and I I wonder if it will pay off for L.A. that they decided to do that because. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, I mean, they basically said, they're like, we can't afford to not make this trade. It was never something we were considering, but we weren't considering somebody was going to show up with a million dollars. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the freedom that that will give them to have some flexibility in their roster and build future pieces, I think it's hard to argue that they're not sacrificing something pretty big in the short term. 
However, yeah. LAFC, despite their early success, I think still is a team and a club that has a longer term vision of what they'd like to achieve. And so right. a million dollars towards your roster and an international spot, it's like, that's not nothing. And it might mean that, yeah, you struggle in terms of establishing that center back partnership um, this season, but they've got good center backs still. And this now, get, like, they could get two very good center backs from other leagues for this money um, or true. even within the league. So it just, Nashville needed the player. LAFC didn't really need the money, but now they've got that flexibility. And now they've signed their 17th striker. So everybody's <laughs> And I mean, like, I don't know. I guess he, I guess Bradley Wright Phillips uh, stepped on the ground and a hat jumped into his onto his head. Yeah, it said LASC on it. Um, coming from New York, um, that is, I think that you know, I really hope that uh, he gets to contend with LA. That's the interesting part is that you're you're absolutely right. And if you if you slow down and think about it. They have a long-term approach that is not going to be make, made or broken by this year. Yeah. Um, but it is just interesting because of how much of the conversation they dominated last year. Yeah. And, and the fact that they fell short. You would think that they're immediately thinking, well, what can we do? What can we do to – like, we were so close. What can we do to get there now? Well – they maybe you're right that it's not just now it's the next five or ten years and part of that vision as they said even before this move um as there's been lots of talk continue talk about um about a potential sale of rossi is that in order to be a successful club they need to be a selling team so they're always set up to sell players and bring players up while they're young um and, and see the value increase at the club and then move some of those players on. That's how clubs nowadays establish that long-term success. So um, I think it's something that people kind of missed from their whole approach. And I'd say at this point, Bob Bradley probably doesn't give a toss about another supporter shield. Um, he's never going to like conceding goals, but <laughs> he also knows that just because you're best in the league doesn't mean you're going to win MLS cup and, that's the the mission, I'm sure, for them right now. And as well as that, building a really strong, stable base for the club. And it might seem insanity to, to move a player on like that. But overall, you still, you look at them and they've really, the players that they've moved on outside of Zimmerman are, were mostly players that they didn't really need. And were Mm -hmm. kind of surplus to requirements. And then you think about, okay, well, how is Bradley Wright Phillips not sort of surplus at this point? But if a club does decide to pick up Diego Rossi at some point this season, they've got clearly a well-established striker waiting in the wings. They're not expecting Bradley Wright Phillips to start every game. Um, they're probably getting him at a much reduced salary because he wants to stay with a big club and a relevant team. Um, it, it certainly benefits the player to be at a club like this. So I think overall LAFC is, is doing some really good business for themselves. I think it's good business. There was a part of me that came into this thinking between this and Gressel going to DC, Julian Gressel making that move. 
mm-hmm. um, that that you had two teams there that are um, going to be missing something. I think really key that made them work, and they have a lot of other places. They have a lot of, a lot of other pieces as well. Um, but if they, I think that if they want to improve on what they did last year, they have to like f- work around that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One team that uh, that is going to have to work around a lot is New York Red Bulls, who uh, signed uh, English uh, League's Wolverhampton Wanderers Kevin Thelwell as a sporting director, which is a big move for them. But they still, I I don't know if we've gotten a clear answer as to what they're doing about Bradley Wright Phillips and Luis Robles. Um, and they just lost Kamar Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad. If if you want to feel better about your life or worse about just life in general, go on Red Bull's Twitter because it has just been like blow oh, after no. blow for them in the off season. Like there's and they've hardly brought anybody in. It's just it's incredible. I feel like they're just it feels like a bit of a fire sale and we're just going to start the season. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't actually have enough players to form a team. It's the. Uh, yeah, it's, I was going to say that West West Ham came in for Aaron Long and they told them no. And that was that's like the the piece of good news. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. It's so true. Like. Uh, we need to keep at least him. I mean, they've they've still got good players, but. Um, yeah, boy, they, they have a lot of holes to fill or, or, you know, maybe they're just hoping people gel better this year. Um, I'm not so sure, but who maybe there is in, I, this is based on absolutely nothing, of course. So <laughs> okay. I gotta make this, I gotta make this clear. I wonder, you know, you mentioned the Nashville thing of where it's like, man, they, they, uh, maybe this is how we make this constructive speculation. Um, they, you know, they, uh, they didn't seem like they were doing anything. And then, wow, they made a big spla- splash. Maybe there was a big splash in the offing. And per- maybe, maybe the constructive way to say it is that, like, this kind of demands a big splash. Like, it, like, more, more or less, like, like a big announcement has to happen because if you look at this this roster that they had for their first camp, that's not something that you could come into the league with. It's true, and and like you know, as much as they've got you know, Kaku's obviously on uh, a big salary. Um, Josh Sims, who they've brought in as a DP, is young, and I don't think he's making a ton. Velo is is quite well paid as well, but like they've got a ton. <laughs> of salary space to work with here um mm. because you know three of their most expensive players have just left and i mean i like yeah yeah you have to imagine that like okay they're gonna do something with that but it yeah it's just interesting i'm not quite sure what the, what the game plan for them is at this point um the other big thing that i have is is you have two interesting situations, I guess, at both of the expansion team, um, where uh, both of them working their way through some uh, legal and municipal matters. Uh, one of them is that Inter Inter Miami is still in court with Inter Milan. <laughs> yeah, over their over their name, uh, 
which uh which is interesting because i mean like i think we take for granted that some of these words can just be used you know real salt lake you know yeah this is the, 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 the that uh inter is obviously different in terms of that is a club that is that is accepted as the short form but kind of in the before the era of before the era of like global branding for soccer, this sort of of borrowing, yeah. this aspirational borrowing was common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting now because there is a part of me as a that from a soccer perspective wants to say, ah, oh, well, it's common. And there's a part of me that from a um like a brand perspective is like, how did you think you were going to get away with this? <laughs> Well, and also that, like, yeah, it's just so laughable to be at this point, you know, we're like two weeks out and they're, they might have to change their name. And Miami FC is yeah. already taken. So, like, <laughs> I just, why didn't they just call it Beckham's Boys or something? They are in, I don't know if it uh, if it is, is or isn't likely they're just in court. I'm not saying that it, they're, they are at the, as of, I have a herald up article open from the 11th they're in the early stages and there are no substantive decisions that have been made so it's not clear whether or not they're losing or, or i think recent i think they lost the first round though i think that happened today or yesterday oh no yeah so so i mean which is still rough. is like preliminary but you know could be interesting they also they also now announced on the first that the name of the name of their USL League One team that's going to kick off on the twenty seventh, Fort Lauderdale Club de Football, oh. uh, Fort Lauderdale CF, um, which is also going to play at the Fort Lauderdale Stadium where where Miami is going to play its first two seasons because they haven't because the stadium is not built yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a schedule, uh, and they have a they have a full schedule the League One side. But they don't have a coach or players. And when do they start playing? The 27th of okay. March. Hmm, good. All right. Less well. than a month away. Less than a month away. And not only have they not started a camp, they don't have a coach or players. Hey, well, I think it's time to brush up those old resumes, buddy. <laughs> I got my own cleats. Do you want to be, uh, do you want to play or do you want to be, uh, in the coaching staff? Oh, player, coach, obviously. Come on. Oh, I love this. I love this. Okay. That's it. We're but I want to be able to make, gonna... I want to be able to make subs from the field though. Okay. Between you and I, we're going to turn this club around. I feel from like nothing. Into <laughs> uh, something. <laughs> yes. Well, they'll have at least two, um, two players and two coaches. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, the, uh, and then Nashville is also having, I'm trying to figure out what the deal is with the fair, the fairgrounds. Um, there, is it with the, it's with the mayor now? It's with the, the, the municipal government is deciding whether or not to, uh, approve the stadium. Yeah. There's been a, a whole lot of back and forth and, um, Don Garber and some MLS reps, I believe had to go there and kind of be like, look, we gave you an MLS franchise on the agreement. You'd build a stadium. So you can't now say, just like put the the kibosh on every single plan to build a stadium anywhere. 
Um, but the, the city and the mayor really seem to be dragging their heels and uh, putting Nashville in a, in a difficult spot because, I mean, at this point, the, this, um, MLS can't really revoke the, um, approval to have them in the league, but they kind of have a place they can kick a ball. Fast tracking them was maybe a mistake. It's like I mean, sometimes just had another year. It's like sometimes you should wait on things and be patient. But another one team that is going from uh it looks like the issue is that they want to do it at the fairgrounds um which is the may or may not work well with the speedway. I guess that right. that takes place there. And also, their their local population are pretty connected to the fair, fairgrounds as well, and they're a little bit stressed about about mm. how that will go. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, uh, I don't. I think that that municipalities should hold sports teams um, to the highest level of financially accountable for new stadiums. I don't think they should take on Ooh, yeah. any unnecessary risk. Um, totally financially. So I don't necessarily, even though. It is true that, that we're getting pretty close here. They need a deal. Um, I think that I think that they definitely should do. It's going to be, you know, buildings and teams and stuff for long term. Teams can be short term. We have learned. Um, yes. The uh, um, the the investment can be the 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 hangover can be long term. Yeah. So um, they should get a the the deal right. Um, but. You know, it's obviously going to be interesting to see about what they do if it uh, if it all doesn't come to to pass. Mm-hmm. the The other little MLS notes that I have before moving to another expansion issue um, in another league is that uh, the jerseys. I we could talk at length here, and, and I think that I'm my idea is going to have to change as I see more of these jerseys. I really didn't like the MLS's new Adidas jersey rollout because yeah. I thought that the designs are are much too samey. Some of them have some interesting little uh, bits to them. I I'm sorry I can't look at the little the flash of yellow and the earthquakes logo and not think of a banana. <laughs> um, but some of them are some of them are better than others. But I think all of them have this grotesque looking shoulder stripe that I hate because yeah. it's huge. And it's just a huge branding thing. I didn't like the neckline, but then when I saw photos of it on actual humans, I liked it more. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I thought that most of the Jersey leaks had to be fake. Cause I was like, there's no way Adidas is doing that striping on the shoulder. Cause it's against their brand guidelines. Um, and it apparently turns out they're just willing to break their own brand guidelines. So, there's that. Um, yeah, I'm not impressed. The sooner we get rid of this Adidas sponsorship, the better, because the jerseys just look... It's an interesting time, because it's like, I feel like last year was the year that all the Nike jerseys, like, across the world were very plain. And, like, now Nike had its U.S. Uh, its US jersey that that has positives and negatives to it. It's risky, but also it's risky. Um, and it's like, it's now, now Nike is getting adventurous and Adidas is sticking to this very samey template format, uh, format. So it's, it's, I hope it grows on me, but right now I don't love it. Um, 
like even the best jerseys and i think vancouver's look so i'm i'm warming up to vancouver's a little but even the best jerseys are just making the best out of a bad situation yeah i i agree there's a couple that look all right um but i still feel like it's it's overall i mean if if most of the jerseys don't look great then that's bad <laughs> you know <laughs> And then the, uh, the other one is that New York City um, has finally pulled the trigger on something we talked about in the last year's playoffs, uh, and they will be playing one of their CONCACAF Champions League home games at Red Bull Arena. And the fans are pissed. Yep. Their supporters group all issued a joint, the, the all their supporters groups issued a joint statement talking about how upset they are about having to go to a rival field. I think rival teams ground share all the time. So, but I think that they have a legitimate grievance in terms of what they have been promised by the ownership stadium was and what the, you know, they used to force people to have these things built before they joined the league. Like, <laughs> Yeah. They used to force you to make a new one and they made it like, like, and have that be essentially a done deal. And they have, not only are we having these issues with Nashville, but we have this situation where it seems like, like, for the longest time with Yankee Stadium, even if it was a bad experience and I didn't love it the time that I was there, um, in terms of the, logistics of operating a baseball stadium as a, as a sports field. The fans, the, the, um, the team and the opposing supporters, of course, were great to us as, yeah. as away supporters, but as an idea, it sucked. Um, but it was Yankee stadium. Like there was a little bit of prestige to it, yeah. but if you just keep getting bat, like, you know, volleyball bounced around the New York metropolitan area, mm-hmm. which sorry, supporters, includes new jersey yeah they're like we have to go out of state to attend a game you're not fooling me with this one that's yeah. not one that fools you're me. crossing a river <laughs> you'll be okay <laughs> you're on an island you're just going to across the water it is a it is a really frustrating situation that they've been asking uh, their, their yeah. fans to deal with yeah it is and you know it's not a baseball field. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't so know. Another, everyone will live. Another situation involving a team um, making a, a, a sprint to expansion is that uh, in the, it seems in the blink of an eye, the Ottawa Fury were legislated out of existence. Um because they wanted to continue operating in the States. And now um, a Phoenix, a, 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 after a fashion, a Phoenix club for Ottawa. The, I think the term Phoenix club really re- requires to have some sort of connection to the former club, which I don't know that this does in any way. Yeah. Like it's the same stadium, but they don't, it, it is, it is operated by Atletico Madrid. It is called, Atletico Ottawa. The branding video looks great. The crest looks great. Uh, the fact that they tried to find Canadian nicknames for all the color 
It's like f- federal red, rideau, blue, and blanc d'Ottawa to describe the three colors that were always going to be a part of the right. crest. Um, it is, I think, a really interesting move. It is going to pay off sort of instantly because they are joining, I think, for 2020. Um, the... I... The thing that matters to me and has always mattered to me about the Fury thing is how do the fans feel about it? And I think that there are people that are excited and yeah. I'm happy and I'm really happy for them. And, and that was the number one thing I was looking for when I was looking at this branding video. When I was looking at the motion graphics and the shots of Parliament Hill and the interview with the commissioner talking about how great it is to have Ottawa playing other Canadian teams. In the interview with the CEO of Atletico Madrid, I wondered... Are they going to have any Ottawa fans in this video? And they mm-hmm. had file footage of of Canadian men, Canadian national, uh, I don't know, men's or women's, Canadian national team home games in Ottawa. So there were actual, actual, factual Ottawa fans were in the video. And that was what was most important to me. Yeah. And I mean, it's, is it a perfect solution to things? And is it, you know, with the historic roots? No, but it's a club. Um, and it's a club yep. that's going to be playing in the Canadian Premier League, so it's important. And yeah, I, I agree. Is it? It's. It seems like it's good for the fans. So the uh, I already saw. I already saw and hated. I don't know who. Um, it came across my desk, but I don't know what paper it came from. Um, the the take that. Um, when is a when is a club more profile high profile than the uh than the league it's joining when Atletico Ottawa signs up? That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I don't really think I think that that getting I'm excited for this. And the reason I'm excited for this is in this is this, um they're obviously great managers of soccer. They're great mm-hmm. they're like they're going to be good. Um, and they're going to try and make a good team. It's not going to be Atletico Madrid. <laughs> it's yeah. not going yeah, yeah, to be yeah, yeah. half of Atletico Madrid. Like, 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 and that's I think like an expectation that you're spurring up. It's going to be a very good. Like, it's probably going to be a a a, a well run Campiel side. Yeah. Um, I think that I don't necessarily think that. The, I think that it's as exciting as that idea is now, it's like, and I don't necessarily want to, I, I know that the debate on what the level is versus USL is still going, but it's like Phoenix Rising became a bigger team because Drogba was there, but he didn't, they didn't become all of a sudden a massive national team mm-hmm. uh, or like a national level team. Yeah. And this is going to be good. But once people see the reality of what it is, I think it'll be fun, and and I think that it'll be like any other team. It'll be a welcome part of the the, the landscape. But as yeah, much exactly. as but it let's has keep our feet who, on the ground here, yeah, um, I think that they have made an incredibly galaxy brain <laughs> signing for their head coach. Mista is back. Yeah. The Toronto FC designated player who played nine games. It scored once. It's a choice. One of the one of the the person one of the people that is 
is brought up, and I saw people contesting this on Twitter, but one of the people that's brought up as one of the worst designated player signings in MLS history um, is back in Canadian soccer. Uh, I I think that there could be a lot good here. He uh, I had it here. He was he was a youth coach at Rio Vallecano in in Valencia, so he's been getting some um, he's been getting some coaching experience. And really, who else? And I'm tr- I was trying to find. I was looking earlier, and I couldn't find anybody. But I I I know that it's a that that there could be a um, a bigger deep dive. Who else has played professional soccer for a Canadian team and Atletico Madrid? I don't mm-hmm. think any. I I can't think of anyone, and and that's what makes it Galaxy Brain is that he has this connection for ill for 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 good or for ill. He has this connection with Canadian soccer because of his brief tenure at Toronto FC, um, and he has a connection to. Atletico Madrid, which is going to be important to that team as they try to sort of um, build this new club in their image. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, 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 I have never heard. If you look at his Wikipedia page, precisely zero is listed between the his his retirement, which took place like immediately following his run at TFC, um, and now. And a lot of information about what he's been doing comes from the press releases early in the interim years comes from the press that surrounds the move. I think it's real interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a choice. It wouldn't be mine, but (laughs) it's a choice. I talk about Canadian soccer always has to have just some like wacky headlines to to keep things interesting. <laughs> and this this is uh, this is ours. This is this year's wacky headline. We talk about we talked earlier about the uh, <laughs> we talked earlier. I think a, a, an episode or two ago about the the movement of players of of players from the old guard that uh, from teams that we um. Like, you know, there are a whole generation of players that are now moving into management or looking to, to be managers or, or whatever. Uh, I didn't think Mista would be in that discussion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the year? The only thing I didn't mention was the, uh, when did it, it was, it was 2010 was his, was mm-hmm. the beginning and the end of his, uh, of his tenure. So. It'll be interesting. They uh, have a short run-up because they also are looking to debut in April and don't have any players um, and haven't done like, well, a lot. I don't think that, I don't really think that the Campiel teams have started their camps or anything this early. Um, there is a lot of speculation that they might um, try to sign a lot of old Fury players, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I know they sold the franchise, but I don't think that I don't know what happened to the contracts. If all the players are just free to go where they want to, if they would want to go to Ottawa or not. So it'll be interesting to see how that roster fills out. Um, but that's going to be, I guess, one of the interesting little stories. I think that I think that eight's a great number, a much better number, you know, when you're trying to um, figure out scheduling and stuff than seven is. So, yeah. I don't know, man. Whew, we're getting close. We're getting close. I can taste it. So much. 
Like, like this is the thing. Have you watched? Um, I I haven't, but have you watched any preseason? I have watched very little. I've kind of been engaging with highlights here and there. Um, normally, I follow the Whitecaps preseason pretty closely. With the roster changing so much um, and the format looking different this year, I didn't really follow it as much beyond the results and a couple of highlights. But just trying to get a sense of where teams are at. I mean, it's always... For me, the the benefit to watching preseason games is that you do get a sense of pieces that might work um, or, uh, you know, especially youth players that you may not get to see a lot of during the season, but in preseason you see quite a bit more of and you see them over usually like a 30-minute stretch. Um, You know, the Sounders last year had a number of young players that we ended up seeing actually make the first-team roster. Um, But no, the short answer is no. I I really haven't watched it as much as I I would like. Um, As we were kind of getting fired up here, I I saw Dallas come back late to win one of their preseason matches. Um, But overall, no teams have really stood out as, as crushing it or really blowing it um it's just sort of all the teams kind of putting their players through their paces more than anything some of them are not really being streamed which i think kind of makes the it's like the whitecaps's decision to to have limited video available until they go to portland really makes the decision easy for me (laughs) well again somebody made this point on twitter is it's like it's a huge untapped market like soccer fans want it it's a great opportunity to start building your branding and, and building excitement for things. And it really doesn't take a whole hell of a lot. Um, it, it, you know, I'm quite content with a preseason game to have a, you know, it's clearly just some guy with his iPhone on a tripod swiveling back and forth with no commentary. Like I'll watch that. <laughs> um, it's still an we opportunity. We should do commentary. Absolutely. We should get Hire us on commentary. Emma- we could have like a situation room and we'll just do commentary for every single MLS preseason game. It'd be great. Oh, I like that idea. Yes. How could that possibly go wrong? I think that the thing that is interesting to me is how normal it's all seems. There was a part of me that said, you know, preseason starts in January. What are you talking about? But it's like, everything is working pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I mean, knock on wood, it's MLS. Anything can happen, but... Um, oh yeah, overall it feels like kind of like a bit of an academic exercise at this point in the preseason. It's getting players back up to speed, it's seeing who's fit and who's healthy, trying to develop some team chemistry. The one thing I'll say that's maybe a little bit different, and it's probably just because I'm paying more attention to it, is that with the Whitecaps, I do feel like what I've seen so far is a little bit more of that team chemistry, and you're seeing the players... Mm-hmm. Um, the base of players who remained from last year already kind of clicking um, and starting to connect with some of the newer players. Uh, is it Petrasso, the young kid that we picked up in the draft? Michael uh, Repo- Ryan Raposo? R- R- Ryan Raposo. Why don't I think Petrasso's like a hockey player or something? He's a Canadian guy. Yeah. Um, he had a great goal in, I think, his first game off of uh, Jake Nerwinski cross. So like it's th- little things like that, like seeing a, you know, mid-aged player, and I'm talking mid-soccer age here, and Nerwinski, you know, getting those good crosses into the box, uh, Raposo with a really good finish. It's the little things like that that bring some promise. Um, 
to see that team chemistry and where I've been able to, to see some other preseason stuff. I, th- I think that's largely what I've seen is kind of the most productive thing for teams is starting to work out their plays um, and that team chemistry a little bit. Um, Michael Petrasso is the, uh, the former Valor player that just got signed by York nine in KPL. Yeah. Okay. Well, I must've seen that on Twitter and somehow it just lodged itself into my brain. You were in the you were in the right sport. <laughs> you know what? At this point in preseason, that's remarkable. I'll take it. See, this is what's important is getting the the. This is what's important for me is to just get the the beep test in and and uh, um, you know, see you know, you know, really reconnect with some of the names. Um, con- consider starting a fantasy team. Uh, <laughs> all of these things are important to getting me uh to getting me really uh, ready really to really ready to roll yeah i agree until we're almost we're almost there man we're almost there i mean like it's almost weird but now when you say like 16 days that's where i'm like wow like yeah. like a month away, a month away is like long enough that it's still sort of like the far distant future. But it's like, man, I know what, like, like I have work scheduled in sixteen days, and I'm gonna have to start. Uh, I'm gonna <clears throat> have to start doing that. So and that whole thing. Yep. Do we? Oh, do you know what we didn't talk about? Um, that the the is it is it too much to ask you on the air if you got your season tickets? Oh, it's not too much. I I am still undecided. Maybe we'll still have an undecided. update for next week. I'm still undecided. The they they're they're gambit. I mean, it doesn't. Here's the interesting thing I think about the 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 gambit of um of the season's tickets is, is that they did, which is where they said in in September that if you if you renew your season's tickets and you're not happy with us by January by the end of January you get to cancel for no no issues is that I feel like everybody canceled anyways <laughs> because or everyone that was gonna cancel canceled and then because it's like well if I like it I'll just buy it again yeah admittedly that's kind of why I don't think a lot of people took them up on it because it was like well yeah if I mean if things really turn around that much we'll just buyer tickets and like i mean okay we don't get the 12 percent off thing that you know during the renewal period but like at this point everybody's cutting their losses anyway so i don't know what more more to come that's the short story no i have not decided uh where can we find you online you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. You can find this podcast at that's so MLS.com and wherever fine podcasts are procured. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Where can we find you? You can find me online um, on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Um, I'm an editor at Heller Magazine, what a Heller.com. And yeah, I, I believe we're. Uh, We've we've been on our our season jaunts, but I think we're going to be trying to come at you next week. Yeah, we're we're back to the weekly schedule, so I think we're we're going to have to get our jogs in and get ourselves up to match fitness here. But I'm feeling good about it. We were saying like you know getting the uh, the internal rhythm back, the routine 
is oh god is, is a welcomed thing for both of us i think i'm ready for it i'm yeah. ready for uh <laughs> i'm ready for some routine in my life i'm ready for the sun to be out again that would oh be yeah really that nice. thing I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in so long. <laughs> you moved so far away to also not see the sun. Until next week. Don't, don't get sent off. Don't get sent off.